Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95. A new survey is suggesting that 27% of third level students conceal their negative attitudes towards black people coming to Ireland. To chat about us more about this on the programme this morning, we have John Lannan from Duras Limney and Toby Lawal, who's a UL master's student. Good morning to both of you. You're both very welcome to Limerick today this morning. Morning, how are you? Um, Toby, if I can start with yourself, first of all, were you surprised by this statistic? Um, I wish I could say I was, but um, I really wasn't. In terms of the Black Lives Matter um, protests and kind of the wave of support in Ireland as well as abroad, um, I kind of felt amongst my age group there was a lot of jumping on the bandwagon, you know, just to show that you care, show that you show support. And then once the, I just say, the momentum kind of dropped, it was kind of back to business then. Everyone's forgotten about it. Do you think that the Black Lives Matter protests have caused more people to look at their own behaviours or how they can combat racism or have we just moved on? Um, um, Definitely. I do think it's a subject that a lot of people were kind of nervous to talk about before for fear of offending anyone. But I definitely think that's a conversation that is happening more now. And I think if anything, that's an improvement because it shows that on one level that there's more awareness amongst not just my age group, but also the older generation too. John, a lot of focus on the direct provision system in this country and particularly this week with the hunger strike at the direct provision centre in Kerry and Karasivine. Do you do you think it's it's actually, you know, a racist system? Do you think racism is behind it? Yeah, it's it's interesting that you make the connection with racism because this is very, very relevant. I mean, the report that we're talking about um, is probably, the findings are probably not a surprise to people who do experience racism already. And one of the most evident examples of institutional racism in the country is certainly direct provision. And we see now where, as a result of that institutional racism and the manner in which people in system in Carol Sivine have been treated over the last four months. They're driven to a desperate situation of having to go on hunger strike. Racism is often kind of, I suppose it's seen as something um, that is based on ignorance, but you would expect people who've had the privilege of a third level education not to have that ignorance. So, you know, to say that a third of them are hiding negative attitudes towards people of colour is rather concerning. Absolutely. But, you know, we, we, we'd often hear about, you know, parents who are outraged about something a child would blurt out in public that they would um, appear to be shamed or embarrassed about. But on the other hand, the child may be hearing that at home and saying it in something that, that is racist. Um, it's good that there are short social pressures to show tolerance now. And that is a very positive thing in Irish society. But it is worrying that a lot of it is superficial, particularly with people who are highly educated. And one of the concerns is, of course, that if there are negative attitudes that aren't being expressed openly, they might affect decisions that are affecting minority groups behind closed doors. And I'm thinking here particularly in areas like recruitment or in public representation. These are two primary examples of where people who um, are um, the, the ones experiencing or suffering from racism are likely to be affected. And have we much research in this country to show whether those attitudes are, you know, taken on board d- during an employment process whether the you know a person of colour actually is at a disadvantage? 
Um, there, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence on this, and there is also some evidence coming through the iReport system in which um, any examples of, of racism, whether they're very overt and direct or more subtle, can can be reported. Um, the, um, we, we know, for example, here in Limerick, through our work in Doris, that there is a significant cohort of very educated people um, with master's degrees, PhDs in, in many cases, who are from minority communities, who may be Muslim, who may be black, but have difficulty getting access to work. And this is something that naturally affects the, um, the well-being and the mental health of, of, of the people concerned as well. Toby, is it something that you've heard about much? It um, is something that... Sorry, I was just asking Toby her own her own thoughts on it. And is it something you're concerned about, Toby, when you go looking for, for work? Um, in terms of access in the workplace, I'd say, I'd say a big thing is even interviews. Um, giving in a CV somewhere, you're scared maybe your name might be looked on differently because it sounds African. Um, when you go into an interview, fear of how you may look in terms of your hair. Will an interviewer be biased towards you? There's a lot of factors that come into it. And I think it's, I think when you are not um, of an ethnic minority or not black, these concerns might not be something that you might think about. But for us, it's definitely something that affects us. And for people in direct vision, there's also that added barrier of the fact that not up until 2018, they couldn't even work. It was um, until it was declared unconstitutional. And now it's a case of they want to work, they want to put themselves out there, they're well-educated, but they can't get jobs in their sector and they're living on pittance, in my personal opinion, um, while they're well-educated and willing and able to work. John, that was uh, has been a problem, you know, that we've talked about on this programme many times before. And, you know, the frustration with many, many very highly skilled and highly educated people within the direct provision system, not having the opportunity to use those skills and our economy not benefiting from them. Absolutely. And people are left um, languishing um, in, in a position of great precarity and certainty for a lot of years. Um, in, in direct provision here in Ireland. I mean, we are failing many people who come to the country seeking international protection. Um, the applications should be handled speedily by the International Protection Office, but they're not, and people spend many, many years, you know, there are cases of people spending five, eight years in centres where, um, as Toby said, we're not allowed to work for many years. Many of the people who are in direct provision are still not allowed to, to work. And even the ones who are permitted to work find it very difficult to get access to work. So, for example, if you're in a direct provision centre in Carasaivin or if you're in one in Listoon Varna, it's extremely difficult to get access to work. Toby, you're encouraging people to support the residents of the Skellig Star Direct Provision Centre in Carasaivin. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on there and your initiative? Um, well, as people should definitely know by now, there is a hunger strike happening in the hotel in Kerry. Um, and for me, it was the need to raise awareness about direct provision because I feel like there's a lot of um, misinformation about what it is, what it entails, um, the whole process behind it. So from my point of view, I wanted to kind of scale it back and make, again, kind of put out a video that gives a simple explanation of what direct provision is, how these um, residents are affected. So... I came up with this idea um, um, to kind of raise awareness, which is called Five Minutes, Five Euro, Five People. 
So I basically ask people to take five minutes to educate themselves on direct vision, either by looking at the Massey website, which has amazing information, very accessible, as well as Doris Lumney. Um, donate five euro to Massey as they are helping these residents in the centres and as well encourage five people that they know will be friends and loved ones to also educate themselves because it's so important and I feel like ignorance about the system is what is allowing it to continue and to allow these people to be treated the way they are which is completely unfair and with that as well um, Massey actually are running a back to school drive every child is your child I don't know if you've heard about that but um, it's an ongoing fund to help children in direct vision to get school supplies such as folders, stationery, backpacks, school uniforms. So if people can't donate, I would definitely, definitely encourage them to um, donate these items to the, their local centres because they need, these people need them. And living on 38, 80 a week is not going to help a parent who has four kids to pay for school books, uniforms and all of that. Yeah, uh, and that's something that um, Every Child is Your Child is a pro- programme that we have covered here on Limerick today in the past. John, I remember, as Toby was saying there, I, I remember once donating a pair of uh, large football boots. My son has very large feet um, to the uh, charity shop up there on Wickham Street that specifically helps with educational supplies. And the woman, when I dropped them in, got so excited. She said there was a young kid from Zambia who called to the shop every morning um, or every Saturday morning looking to see were there football boots that would fit him. But he was a size 11. You don't find them very easily. And it, it, it killed me that we'd had them sitting in the, the utility, you know, for uh, a few weeks that he could have been out playing football. You know, it's a basic thing that a lot of people don't realise. You know, the, the, the joy of being able to kick a ball, a young kid mightn't be able to do that simply because they're not an, on enough uh, money in the direct provision centre system? Absolutely. I mean, it's extremely difficult. In fact, it's impossible for parents to be able to buy something like football boots for kids. But there's another problem as well, which is the institutionalised and the restrictive nature of the direct provision centres. So if that child is living in a centre for years where they have barely enough place to do their homework or no place to to play outdoors. They can't invite friends back for for a party or even just to, to hang out with them. It becomes impossible for them to grow up in the manner in which a child should be allowed and should be able to grow up here in this country in, in this day and age. And the manner in which people who do come to Ireland seeking international protection is it, it's, it's horrendous. I mean, we, we look back on this um, in, in, in the future and, and wonder how did we allow this to happen, given what we have in our past with regard to the Magdalene laundries. You know, the direct provision system is a form of systemic racism. It has been known to be a failure for many years, but it's still in existence. And as I said, children in particular are being affected gravely by having to live in this system for years. Toby, do you think that the reason that we allow this to happen is because we don't yet see the new Irish as part of our society in the same way as maybe other countries that have had dealt with immigration for many more decades than Ireland has, that we haven't really embraced the new Irish uh, as openly as other societies? Um, I definitely agree with that, even from just social media with um, a lot of people commenting, saying, well, if you don't like it, then go back to your country. But I'm also an Irish national as much as I am a Nigerian national. So Ireland is my country. Ireland is my home. I think 
some people forget that an Irish person does not have to be white. They can be black. They can be from any nation. It, it, it doesn't matter. And I think people have yet to kind of understand that. Even university students, I've had people say, oh, well, but where are you from originally? But no, Offaly is my home. Like, I, I recognise Ireland as my home. I'm Irish, so like, as just as much as you are. So I just think there's a lot of... Um, reluctance to accept that Irish people can come in all shapes and forms and I think that's definitely something that we need to speak about in schools especially with children because I personally don't believe kids are um, born racist I think racism is a tough thing and I definitely feel in schools and classes it should be something that is pushed as a topic of subject to talk about because I feel like in Irish culture there might be a fear of not wanting to offend people when you say certain things but I feel like the more we avoid the subject and don't talk about it, the more um, prejudices we'll be allowed to um, carry on. Do you think young kids growing up in direct provision centres who, you know, whose parents are struggling to get the lunch boxes, uh, the pencil cases, the school bags, all that kind of thing, that on top of all of that and the fact that they can't attend birthday parties like their friends can, on top of all of that, are they experiencing name calling and that kind of racism as well? Oh, I definitely would agree with that. I, and even just last night, I was just reading, I think it was an article um, about just the racial profiling of um, direct provision children. And it honestly broke my heart because it, it was something saying about um, them being trapped at school by the centre bus and being made fun of. Um, they usually bring Nutella sandwiches to school and children like, oh, we know you're from that place. Things like that. A child might not understand exactly why they're being singled out, why they're being othered, but that's how it starts. And it, it just, it's heartbreaking because children are so innocent and to make them feel like they're less than because they're living in the centre, it's just, it's really baffling to me. Okay, um, we've had somebody get in touch uh, with us to ask you what you think, Toby, about this call to ban books like To Kill a Mockingbird and other books because of racial slurs in them. I think uh, Huckleberry Finn and those kind of books as well um, were mentioned in the past. Um, I actually studied To Kill a Mockingbird at junior cert level and at the time, to be quite honest, I was uncomfortable listening to my English teacher read it out in class. Um, and now when I've educated myself more, I kind of realised it just portrays a white saviour complex if you notice in a lot of movies, there's always the white character who saved the black man or is the black man, you know, in like kind of, how would I call it, um, moral compass. And I think it's that, that's a wrong portrayal to have. And to be perfectly honest, I definitely don't think that that should be a book personally that should be um, in the Irish curriculum. OK, John, your thoughts on that? Would you agree? I think we have a lot of work to do in the country just to recognise and understand racism and understand how we treat um, people who may look or sound different to what um, we have traditionally understood as being Irish. As Toby said, you know, you know being Irish um, can mean a lot of different things nowadays. You know, we have black Irish people, we have Muslim Irish people in the same way as we have Catholic people or people from other faiths or other um, skin colours. So I think we have to do an examination right across the board here. We have to look at our school curriculums. We have to look at the training teachers. We have to look at all of the other institutional settings. We have to look at the Gardaí. We have to look at the manner in which hate crimes are, are treated in this country. We have to look at recruitment process and employment in, in companies. So yeah, we have a lot of work to do and um, we, we have um, a government um, 
committee set up at the moment, which is um, aimed at um, putting in place a national action plan against racism. And we need to ensure we get this right now in Ireland. Were the Shel- was the Shelburne Hotel right to remove the statues in front of the hotel? Did you see that? They had two slave girl uh, statues that have been there for decades upon decades and they've been taken down now. I actually can't recall what the statues look like, even though I have to admit I've passed them many times. But from what I've heard, I think, yes, it was an appropriate move to, to take them away. Toby, did you see that? Did you have any thoughts on it? Um, no, I actually didn't see that, but I do think it was a good move to take them away. I think some, maybe the majority of people might not have um, paid attention to the kind of historic um, meaning behind it, but um, I definitely do think it kind of shows support as well because we can't be a country that says we say no to racism, yet we have statues up of these kind of individuals. Okay, well, thanks very much for joining us on the programme this morning. And a reminder there of that initiative that Toby was talking about. Um, Tony, Toby, how can people actually take part in that? Um, I would recommend going on to Massey's website. Um, it's very accessible. There is a link on it that says you to donate now. Once you click on that link, you're able to donate whatever amount you feel like you're able to. Um, definitely share as much as you can. I actually have a video that's... Um, currently trending on Instagram right now. My Instagram is Toby underscore Lowell, L-A-W-A-L um, underscore and people can share that, listen to it, send it to their friends and family because I definitely think it's so important to just for people to have a base level of what direct vision is and understand that this is something that we definitely need to challenge and we need to ask and continue to demand the government's change. Okay, well, thanks very much for joining us in Limerick today this morning. UL Masters student Toby Lowell and John Lannan from Doris Limney. Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95.